summary I'm giving is not to say that Dorsey's decision was right. It was to, it's to raise it and go, Jack Dorsey is accountable to his shareholders. Does he have the right to shut down somebody who's democratically elected, no matter how offensive or even dangerous or violent he might be? On today's episode of Tech Talks, we're talking to Steph Hare, a Chicago native, technologist, and author of a book, Technology Is Not Neutral. Whether you like it or not, technology has an interest in you. And myself, Akish, and Amber talk about the conversation with Steph and ask what can be done to mitigate the real-world impact of technology. This is Tech Talks, the tech podcast brought to you by the Harvey Nash Group, where we talk to leaders from across the industry, sharing their insights and opinions. So, Easter weekend coming up. Chocolate eggs, still a thing? Were they ever a thing, not a thing? Yeah, I had one last night, I'm not going to lie. I had like a little bit of one, half of one. Oh, do you know what it is? It's because when you're in the in the build-up to Easter, all the shops sell the Cadbury's ones for like a pound. So yeah. instead of going to the shop and buying a chocolate bar, in the build-up to Easter, I always find myself going to the shop and just buying a chocolate egg. They're just eating a whole chocolate egg. Mm. Do you have? Do you get like Easter eggs on Easter Day? Like, I my dad is a vicar, so full disclosure, a little bit of religion going on there, but, you know... On Easter Sunday, my parents used to, like, there'd be, like, five eggs on the dining room table in the morning. I used to when I was younger, but not not anymore. Like, yeah, I, I guess if my parents have, like, gone out before Easter or something and they will see, like, a nice egg. But I remember back in the day, you used to get, I don't know if they still have, like, Thorntons around. Do you remember the chocolate shop, Thorntons? Of course they do, yeah. Oh, are they still knocking around? They they used to get the ones with, like, your name written on them. Um, so yeah. me, me and my sister used to get, like, so my sister used to get some sort of, like, girly one. I used to get, like, the football one with, like, my name written on it. I used to think, you know, I'm, I'm the absolute dogs. Um, but, yeah, not not anymore, mate, to be fair. I get Easter eggs, but we've never done it as a tradition that it's on Easter morning. Like I feel like we, as a family, we like chocolate too much, so we just eat them in the build-up. Yeah, and then it doesn't actually—they don't make it until Easter. So what? What is what is the best egg to receive? Haley, my wife, in her mind, it's she. She actually likes the Cadbury's eggs. She like I know what you're saying, Akisha, about the Thornton's eggs. Very nice, but actually, a Cadbury's egg to her is better than something super fancy. Whereas. Mm-hmm. I, I do quite like a, a bit of a wanky upper class special egg <laughs> that's really? not cost a quid. No, yeah. I, oh, yeah, it's chocolate. I don't think you could beat Cadbury's chocolate. There's a, there's, there's a. I'll tell you the one that I had last night. There's a, there's a strawberry cheesecake one from MNS. So it's white chocolate with like little <laughs> strawberry bits in it that I had uh, tucked into that last night. But my all time favourite one is a lint Easter egg. Oh, oh my god, I love lint chocolate. Yeah, yeah, well, there you go. And when you open the egg, it's got like the little lint inside. Oh, Ugh. anyway. The little lint chocolate ball things. Yeah, get. chocolate ball things in the oh. egg. Oh, yeah. so good. Anyway. All right, one, one last important question then, especially on that front dark milk or white? Oh, do you know what? I could eat anything. <laughs> I like all of them. Some people are like really against dark chocolate. I like all of them, but favourites probably. Milk chocolate, then white chocolate, and then dark chocolate. <laughs> it's been taken. I, I think anyone listening should, should know that when Amber said milk chocolate, Akish pointed to himself. <laughs> I'm a milk chocolate man, you know. Yeah. I love a bit of milk chocolate. <laughs> I, do, I do love milk chocolate. I'm a fan. 
You see, I thought you were actually saying that you were like milk chocolate. I didn't think you were saying that you liked milk chocolate. I thought you were making some reference that you were milk chocolate. That, that's what I was making I was a reference just, to. I thought right, you were okay, okay. as well. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was doing. That's what I was doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. On that note, we'll move on to today's interview. Um, we are talking to Steph Hare. She's a native of Chicago. She's been working for about 25 years. And over that time, she's come to the realisation that technology... Well, you might not be that interested in technology, um, but it's definitely interested in you and therefore you can't take a neutral stance on it. Uh, so technology is not neutral. It's the title of a book. We're talking all about that and ethics in tech. We'll be back in a moment. So I'm chatting to Stephanie Hare. How are you today? <laughs> I'm great. Thank you. Um, you're based in London. You're American. That's right. I'm, I'm American and British now, but originally from the States and then moved here and stayed. Whereabouts uh, we, are you originally from? Just outside Chicago in the Midwest. Very nice. Okay. Well, look, thank you for taking some time to join us today. Uh, the primary reason that we've got you on is that you have a book out, Technology is Not Neutral. Um, so it would be great to kind of dive into, well, I suppose, first of all, before we even talk about the book, why you've written the book and mm -hmm. where that idea came from, but then a little bit around what's actually inside it too. Sure. With pleasure. Um, so I'm in my mid forties now and thus have worked for about 25 years. And I thought it was a really good opportunity to kind of reflect on all the things that I've learned as a technologist and as a political risk analyst. And I now do a lot of commentary for the media as well on politics and technology. And really, you know, when I started out during the dot-com boom era, we'll recall the long ago days of around 2000, there wasn't really a, any books that people were being given when they joined companies. I joined Accenture as a sort of new graduate um, in their technology team. And, you know, ethics, technology ethics, AI ethics, data ethics, none of that was on the menu at all. And in fact, I ran into an old Accenture colleague just the other day at, at the book launch, and she said that we were given um, the seven habits of highly effective people. <laughs> it was like the book that you gave new management consultants in 2000. Um, and when I joined Palantir in 2015, we were given four books to read as new joiners. And one of them was like getting things done. And another was called Improv, which was like a theater book about how to develop different personas for clients. So, you know, and I'm just saying just, that it's like, those are, you know, Accenture and Palantir, their yeah. business is data and tech. And like, those were the books they were giving new joiners. Ethics was just not just, on the radar. Just humor, humor me. Humor me a second. Did you read them? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm like such a nerd. Are you kidding? Give me a reading list and I will tackle it with like, <laughs> you know, highlighters and a spreadsheet. Okay. Such a nerd. Yeah. Oh dear. Well, you're 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 a better person than I am. I think I would have no, gone. No, yeah, you're the right, better person because you were probably anyway, out having fun, whereas I was taking those things on holiday and reading them for my beach read, which is why I jokingly said, like I've written the summer beach read of 2022 for nerds everywhere. <laughs> um, but like that was really the thing is you know we were given incredible power as very young technologists and and in my case management consultant to look at data to work with data sets and to apply all sorts of decisions that we were making to, with real world consequences. And we were given absolutely no ethics guidance whatsoever, other than, you know, if it's, if it's legal, play ball, you know, <laughs> and if it isn't, don't, it was, it was, you know, that sort of blunt and happily I can report things have really moved on. I'm not saying that we've got it perfect now, but I'm saying that there were all these fields that I wasn't even aware of as a young graduate like science and technology studies and 
humans, computer interface and digital humanities, they were happening in academia, but they weren't crossing over as much into the business world. I don't think politicians or regulators or you know lawmakers are really thinking about it. The media definitely wasn't thinking about it. It just wasn't in the zeitgeist 20 years ago, and it really is now. So I wanted to write something up that really sort of captured that journey, you know, because my career has just completely coincidentally happened in tandem with this massive explosion of technology. If you look at the most valuable companies by market capitalization, they're largely tech firms. And if you want to have a great, interesting career, if you like solving problems, and if you're a woman who wants to close the pay gap, tech's a pretty good place to do it. Um, that's not to say that there aren't problems with it, but it's a it's a field where you can really just go for it um, in terms of talent and, and hard work and the people that you'll meet and the problems you'll work on. Introducing ethics into all of that has been my goal for a number of reasons, probably because of all the things I've seen along the way that are absolute horror shows and the things that I'm still seeing. You know, there's a lot of humility in the book in the sense of this is this is not a finger wagging book. I don't claim for a second to have the definitive view on ethics or to live them myself. It's much more a methodology and an invitation to have a conversation about what does ethics look like if we're applying it to technology, to tools, to how we run our companies, to how we run our societies, um, and what role we want tech to play in our lives. So you say there that um, you know the, the, the ethics is at the very, very heart of, of this book. Ethics is quite intangible, but the introduction is very grounded um, in events that most people are probably very familiar with in terms of the insurrection on, on the US Capitol, mm. um, and forces someone to think about the role that technology has played in enabling um, Trump to to talk to 87 million people yeah. and the roles that um, big tech organizations have played in giving him a platform to do so or not. Um, I suppose that introductory piece is at the very heart of that, that challenging question that you can't just say, you have to have an opinion on this, right? Tech, tech, tech forces you to um, either believe that it, it is or it isn't neutral. And, and and I suppose that very much pushes you in one direction. Yeah, I think there was a temptation and I definitely ran up against this attitude when I was working in technology with a lot of the executives I either had as colleagues or had uh, clients. And they would say, you know, we don't, we don't want to get involved in politics. We're just, you know, technology is neutral. We're selling to everyone, you know, again, as long as there's no sanctions, as long as it's not breaking the law. Um, we just want to provide a product or a service and, you know, don't come to me with this value stuff. <laughs> and the problem is that maybe maybe that was possible once. Um, I personally would say it isn't, but maybe it was. Let's just pretend. I think really from the past few years, it just, it doesn't hold water anymore. So if you're supply chain is grounded and connected in any way with, say, China, you are going to have to have a view on what's happening in Hong Kong, what's happening in the Xinjiang province in the west of China with the incarceration of over a million Uyghur Muslims and just general surveillance mm -hmm. and repression there. And, you know, obviously now that Vladimir Putin has invaded Ukraine and the Ukrainian digital minister, Fedorov, has been using Twitter to liaise directly with tech company leaders. So you can watch it in real time on Twitter, his dialogue with them, where he's basically, you know, kind of naming and shaming and pushing them going, you either need to be helping Ukraine or you need to be withdrawing from Russia. Because if you stay in Russia, you're funding a war. 
you know, and I'm sure there's all sorts of executives, particularly those sitting back in the US who are like, whoa, 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 <laughs> no, it's finding a war here. We're just making money. You know, for them, money is just kind of, it's like electricity, it's kinetic. They don't want it to have values. Um, and you can see why, because values are messy, right? And you end up having to take sides. And if you want to be a global company, you again, want to be friends with everyone. So as long as there's no sanctions, you just, you just want to do business and ethics feels like it can get in the way of that sometimes. So it's, it's messy. And obviously for Americans last year at the um, beginning of 2021 with the insurrection and Donald Trump, the then president using technology to speak directly to people, particularly on Twitter, where he had 87 million followers that put Twitter CEO and founder at the time, Jack Dorsey, who's since left, he was in a really difficult position. And what I loved about him in that moment of making the decision was how honest and humble he was, where he was like, we, we feel we've had to punt him off the platform. Was that the right call? You know, he, you can see he himself was wrestling with it in a long Twitter thread where he explained his rationale and reasoning. But what was incredible was then this sort of domino effect. He was the first leader to kind of put his head above the parapet, if you will, and, and make a call, make an ethics call. And then they, so many of them followed and it shut down a democratically elected leader of one of the most powerful countries in the world, if not the most. And that raised all sorts of issues as well. Like this little summary I'm giving is not to say that Dorsey's decision was right. It was to, it's to raise it and go, Jack Dorsey is accountable to his shareholders. Does he have the right to shut down somebody who's democratically elected, no matter how offensive or even dangerous or violent he might be? And Jack Dorsey's view would be, well, we have policies in place against incitement to violent. We have a fiduciary duty to our shareholders, to the company. We have our own policies. So mm. who's right? And you know, it was it was so incredible. It's very rare as a researcher to get to see your research happening <laughs> in real time um, and with such high stakes. So I had to, and also, I guess, as an American, I was so horrified by watching that I had to make that the opening scene of the book. You talked about this, you joked about this being the the summer read on the beach for, for geeks. But what is the audience of the book? You know, you, you said to me when we last spoke that you might not be interested in technology, but technology is interested in you. And if we step out of technology for a second and think about that interconnected world, I support a football club and have done my entire life because it happens to be the club next to where I was born in my hometown that has been bought by the Saudi state, um, which causes all sorts of moral dilemmas. I have stopped buying Chinese phones of late. I used to have Huawei phones and and Honor phones. I've I've now gone back to Samsung because I thought, well, maybe that's a slightly more sensible decision. We, we're all faced with these decisions in an interconnected world all the time now. Mm. It's very difficult to to know where to draw the line. Yeah. So who is the audience of the book? And if it is me, for example, what 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 is what advice are you giving to people? So one thing I would say with ethics, because um, you know, <laughs> someone far wiser than I once said, you know, that he who is without sin cast the first stone. So we don't want you know perfection doesn't need to be the enemy of the good here. Even if you made, you know, one slightly more ethical decision than you were doing last year, whether that could be, you know, choosing to eat less meat or to only buy locally if you wanted to like support a local organic farmer, just to give like a non-tech example, but a food example. Um, everything that we're doing 
I think can make a difference. And we're all on a journey and we hopefully have really long lives. So I don't think anybody needs to feel bad. This is not like a shaming book. Um, it's actually, I think, <laughs> quite a sympathetic book. I'm in the trench with you going, oh God. <laughs> Ethics is like this 360 <laughs> degree thing that we have to do with our lives. And we're going to be better on some stuff than others. And hopefully we'll decide to just kind of keep working at it um, over over time. And because we all use tech tools and technologies, it's actually kind of exciting because that's a really easy win. You really can choose who you're going to buy or use or not buy or use. Um, you can make really mindful decisions about your social media and, you know, being better at fact checking or not amplifying false news, fake news or misinformation. Um, obviously, if you're someone who invests in tech you've got a really big, powerful role there. Like you don't have to code ever in your life and have incredible power simply by where you're putting your money. And that actually kind of falls onto all of us again as consumers. Obviously, if we're lucky enough to live in a liberal democracy, we can also you know, vote and also express our concerns to our elected officials who, whether we care or not, are legislating on tech all the time, particularly for things involving children. So if you're a parent or a teacher, get in the game because that's affecting kids that you care about. And then obviously if you are, you know, a designer, a software developer, a hardware developer, um, or a data scientist, you have incredible power. And even, you know, somebody in the position I was in as a young graduate in the early two thousands, you might not think you have lots of power at all, but actually sometimes it's the people right on the front line who are getting in and deciding, in a management consultancy, consultancy capacity, they'll be deciding, well, what's the problem we want to solve here for the client? Is this the most valuable problem to solve? How do we solve it? How do we know we've solved it? Like what does success look like? Again, you might not ever be coding or, you know, getting out tools to forge something, but you're, you're sitting in a meetings, talking, doing the human work and actually setting the landscape of what gets looked at and what doesn't. So the book is written in a way that anyone can pick it up and read it. It's it's like in a sort of BBC or newspaper article voice. It's it's hopefully not boring. Um, it's supposed to be fun. I also get bored and like to have fun. So I wanted the book to feel that way. But it's also really practical and grounded because I don't know about you, but with the past two years of feeling super stressed with 8 million things, I don't have a lot of bandwidth personally for like dry, boring reads. I want books I can use or books that entertain me. And I was kind of hoping that I could hit a sweet spot with this one where you might want to keep it on your desk or nearby as a reference guide if you're in the game, but you might also just want to keep it, you know, to sort of turn to you from time to time, because sometimes you'll read something and you don't need it right now, but you end up needing it down the road. And it's supposed to be there kind of as your friend yep. that you can turn to again and again. Well, look, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Uh, I hope that the um, sales of the book go well. If someone does want to get their hands on a copy, what's the best and most ethical way of doing so? Um, well, there are many ways. So you could go to your local search engine and just type in the title, and that's going to take you to a number of places. There's obviously a very big online book distributor um, named after a, a river in Brazil that might not be how you want to do your shopping. So if you go to, for instance, my website, which is um, www.hairbrain.co, I've got links to the publisher, if you want to buy from the direct, um, bookshop.org, 
all sorts of different ways um, here in the UK, in North America, in Europe, and then globally. So the book is available worldwide. We've got it in hardcover. We've got an ebook, and the audiobook will be available from April if you would like to listen to it while walking around the park. So, so many different ways that you can get it, um, depending on your ethical commercial needs. <laughs> and um, just for the sake of of clarity um, and, and making sure there's no confusion. Hairbrain, uh, your your surname H A R E. That's right, H A R E B R A I N dot co. <laughs> we'll get you Just to get you to where you need to go. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Look, thank you very much for your time. And uh, well, we're recording on a Friday lunchtime, so have a lovely weekend. Thank you. You too. Okay, let's start with um, Jack Dorsey, Twitter, and Trump. Because I think this is really interesting, right? Twitter can shut down a democratically elected leader. Um, when they did that, I celebrated it because I think Trump's a twat. And he incited violence. But when you peel back the layer and strip away your own personal politics from this, the idea that actually the CEO who is accountable to nobody but his shareholders has the ability to seriously limit the voice of the president of the US, who, like him or loathe him, was democratically elected in 2016, is a really interesting notion that I hadn't really given much thought to. And I'm the same as you, because when that happened, I was like, yes, you know, because you always used to see, like, the old POTUS, like, um, tweets, right? And it was like, you know, I'm coming for you and especially during the pandemic and stuff, it was like this virus from China, it's the Chinese people and all this. You're like, mate, how can you say that stuff online? And just like, you know, almost like hate speech a little bit. But, um, and then suddenly, and then I realized, I was like, oh, wow, okay. Like when, when that point was raised in the interview, I kind of was just like, yeah, that is true, actually. That because of, you know, the, the responsibility to shareholders and, and kind of, you know your overall public image you can just put someone on mute basically um yeah. which obviously like at, at that sort of standard or that caliber of person yeah it's different but then you kind of think like wow okay like you're only a click away from just being absolutely you know kind of washed away right and, and having your views and stuff kind of done which then is ethically if you put it in that bracket ethically is is wrong um, if you're on a platform which... Well, it's it's time is free speech to an extent, isn't it? I mean, mm. we know that Facebook in particular is so important in elections. Like, we might joke that hardly anyone's on Facebook anymore, but lots of people are. And it's, it's this platform that carries huge social clout in terms of the message that it carries. And especially we've seen that during the vaccination with, with anti-vaxxers and the misinformation around vaccines on platforms like Facebook. Mm. Yeah, I, it, it, it suddenly makes you go, all right, like you, you might not think that this is a big topic, but actually it's a massive topic. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge one. And, and, and you kind of don't just think like, wow, okay, there are a whole range of like ethics behind it. And, you know, it's not just that these issues are, are kind of like a one day issue and then it's kind of sorted out, right? It's the overall kind of knock on effect, the impact, but then also addressing you know, bigger issues um, and, and kind of this is a real life or real world example, um, however you say it. Um, yeah, which is which is massive. 
Mm. It's like, do you know what? This is a really strange analogy, but it's like when you're driving a car, right? And you, when you first get into a car, you're kind of just, I don't know, you've got this big like load of responsibility and it's like anybody can do it, but then obviously like it technically is like a, I don't know, it's like a weapon, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Or like you can kill people with a car too. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know where I'm going with this, but what I'm trying to say is obviously anybody can have access. As soon as you're over a certain age, anybody can have access to like Twitter or Facebook or, you know, the internet. Everybody can go online. Obviously, you know, some households, maybe that isn't the case, but for majority of people, obviously they can, you know, they can access the internet. And obviously, like you've said there, it has such massive responsibility. Yes, there's lots of reasons it can be used like for good, especially within businesses, but then also lots of people kind of take advantage of that and then obviously don't do good with it. So, But yeah, but whereas with the roads, you've obviously got um, signs and rules and laws and a whole structure within every, which everyone agrees to drive. Mm. Steph talks about the fact that she started at the dot-com boom. And if you think about social media 2010 onwards, there were no rules there was no playbook. There was no consensus about how everyone was going to act. And now you've got billions and billions of people using these products and platforms and services, and they weren't built. It was a kind of a, if it's legal, play ball. And now everything's having to be retrofitted. Mm, that's why, yeah, I know what you mean. I think it's a bit, I don't know, it's kind of like a free-for-all, isn't it? In a sense of like, like you say, there is no regulation. There is no kind of policy to it. It's a case of you can just, in a way, almost sort of do what you want. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's kind of the scary thing. Things can be put out there, like you said, with obviously the virus, there was a lot of like miscommunication or a lot of, a lot of things going out that, pay, you know, we didn't know if they were true or they were factual. So loads of things could be circulated. And then obviously if there's younger people online, that just kind of gets absorbed by them. And it again, it just, yeah, it just does a lot of damage. But then, but, I th- yeah, I, I think she addresses that in a book, right? So here's, here's a plug. But I think there's a whole chapter on how do we draw the line who draws the line and who decides like when the line's been crossed, right? So mm-hmm. here's a plug to a book uh, available online, I guess. Technology is not neutral. It's we- interesting though, isn't it? Because I don't know, you, like she said when she started out, I think it's like a centre in her like tech scheme or, you know, grad scheme when she started, like you never really ask those questions. Like, I think even us at Harvey Nash, like, do you know I mean, we've got obviously all the tech we've got all the stuff that we're told to do with it but we're not necessarily told around like you know or taught about sort of the ethics or what not to do and the yeah I don't know it's just something that I would never even have thought of I know you said that at the start of the call Dave but you don't even really think a business should sort of like implement and I can't say I've ever seen a piece of like writing out there that's focused like solely on that before so it's quite an interesting topic and we took out a quick poll on our LinkedIn page asking whether or not people thought that um, politics belongs in technology. And 70% say leave leave politics out of it. Hmm. That's but, you, but you can't, though, can you? Because politics is something that's driven in the world. And if you're doing any business, anything online, that sort of thing, you, in some way, shape or form, you have to... You have to deal with with politics. I, I I just don't understand how you can keep politics out of technology. I, I generally or any kind of facet of life. I, I I don't think you can. Out of interest, look, she talks about the fact that it's not a finger wagging book and it's sympathetic. But I have st- started to think about if I'm buying something, where does it come from? Mm. Increasingly, um, and certainly with phones, I used to buy. I used to have a OnePlus. I used to have a Huawei. I 
won't buy another Chinese phone at the moment. Um, but then at the same time, it's like there are probably parts in my phone made in China. It's quite difficult to avoid it entirely, but on the on at least I've made the one decision, conscious decision of right, any any mobile device, any computer that I buy, I don't want it to come from China because I can see that there are ethical dilemmas with that regime. Yeah, but then again, where do you draw the line? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So there, there's there's all kinds of chips in your house or microchips and things like that that I'm sure will be produced, made, come from 100%. China. So where where, did, where do you draw that line? I think it's if ethically you feel that you want to make that decision and morally you want to make that decision and you go in with a certain mindset, I mean, you can't rip everything open and go, right, that was made there. I'm not going to buy that. No. You know what I mean? So there's an element of intellect i think that should go into it but also some kind of informed decision making um i think really so is it is it the part of governments and regulators to call it out and to make it easier for us like like steph says you know fedorov naming and shaming you know if you want to help ukraine stay out of russia mm, they've tried haven't they? they i mean at the moment especially with the russia ukraine um, kind of war, they've obviously tried to name and shame, you know, Russian oligarchs, people with kind of links to Russia, frozen their assets, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I, th I think they, I think they are giving you the information as a consumer, as a person, as someone living in the UK, and then, um, you know, it's just kind of then it's down to you to make that decision. For example, if you're a Chelsea fan, like again. You know, us three kind of know a bit about football. If you're a Chelsea fan, are you going to stop supporting your club because of, you know, Roman Abramovich and his his links to, you know, kind of Vladimir Putin and, uh, you know, his sanctions and all this sort of stuff? Or were you a Chelsea fan before Abramovich took over? So you're like, well, you know, all right, momentarily I was a fan of him because of what he did to my club, but I'm still. Do, do you know what I mean? It's it's it's, it's a hard one, man. It's a I very difficult one. That's the thing is like people are sort of like stuck in their ways in a bit aren't they really like you say if you was a Chelsea fan before and obviously that's just one example but I don't know as much as you like would want to to help and obviously you know do as much as you can sometimes and it sounds really selfish but like you I don't know if you're stuck in a way or you've always done it that way if you always supported that club for example like I don't know if it could be as drastic to make you completely turn against that and say right I'm not supporting them anymore because of their links to Russia mm. like I don't know if people would make that much of a a, a stand. Like, there's one di there's a, there's a difference, isn't there, between something that you're emotionally attached to, an institution that changes hands, or choosing to use a service, um, that you know a, a product or a service, and maybe not looking into it so much, just kind of blindly using it without thinking about the 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 ethical you know background or implications of it. Hmm. That's. Yeah. I mean, obviously, all three of us have kind of admitted as well that we haven't really thought about this before. So even if no. you sort of like start to get people thinking, like you say, and then you make that conscious decision to be like, right, well, I didn't think about the ethics behind an organisation, or you know, like you said, obviously, um, how do you say is it? Huawei, Huawei, Huawei. That's it. Um, you think, and then obviously, even if some people start to make that decision not to use them. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just it's having more of an impact probably than yeah. what she thinks, isn't it? Yeah, and like Akish said, you can't rip everything open, but you make can maybe make one or two small decisions that that help. Mm. 
Yeah, definitely. Or help you make you feel better. Out of interest, either of you ever read business books? I'll be perfectly honest. I don't. I still think you should go and read Steph's book. Plug. <laughs> Check it out. Um, Hairbrain. But um, I, I'm generally not someone that's ever read business books. I might make an exception here. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've read a couple, but um, they wouldn't be my go-to on a book. But it does sound like, say, very interesting, actually. So this could be <laughs> the start of the business book reading for us all. Easter reading, holiday yeah, reading. Very true. Whilst you're eating your chocolate eggs. Right. <laughs> uh, both of you, thank you for your time with this. Enjoy your chocolate. And um, everyone, have a very lovely long weekend, uh, if you are celebrating Easter, of course. <laughs> <laughs>